Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to Yale University Healthcasts, brought to you by Yale Health. The future of care is here. With us today is Dr. James Perlato, Chief of Student and Athletic Medicine at Yale Health. Jim, welcome. Thanks, Adam. We have covered a number of topics um, related to STD or STI. In this segment, we're going to be discussing herpes, which is probably the most common, um, certainly infamous, um, probably secondary to HIV. If we could just get a general opener and discussion started about what herpes is and how you can track that, that'll get us started. Okay, Adam. Herpes, of course, is caused by one of a group of viruses that actually are quite common and very um, prevalent throughout the world and include the viruses that cause chickenpox, for example. Um, herpes viruses have several different types, and so it's important to think primarily about the two most common ones that cause illness in human beings, and that's type 1 and type 2. Those viruses are very, very easy to contract. Um, it's very common for people to have even been exposed to herpes virus, especially type 1, even when they are small children or young children and teenagers. It can happen from kids fooling around with each other in the playground and playfully um, wrestling and palling around, um, or even from an innocent kiss from your aunt when you're five years old if she happens to have a herpes lesion on her lip. So herpes is not necessarily always an STD, but commonly people do get exposed to it in their teenage or 20s teenage years or early 20s when they begin to have sexual or physical intimacy with other persons. Herpes can be transmitted from the mouth to the genital area of a partner, for example, with oral sex. It can go from the mouth to the penis or the vagina. It can go from mouth to mouth with kissing. Um, it can go from the mouth to the anal area with uh, sexual contact to, from mouth to anal area. Um, and so, and it take, can take just one contact to, uh, to be exposed to herpes and get infected with herpes. Um, when herpes occurs, classically, it is a very painful, uh, small ulceration, which almost looks like a scooped out scrape um, on the mouth, on the outer part of the lip especially, or along the side of the penis, or around the outer part of the vaginal area. And usually these little uh, areas may first start out as little blisters or water bubbles. Uh, in fact, classically, the person will feel a little bit of a tingly or itchy or irritated sensation, not see anything for about 24 hours. Then little bubbles or blisters occur, which may turn a little bit pink or red, become kind of angry and become more painful and irritated. And then over two or three or four days, the top of the blister comes off in a sense or erodes off, and that leaves the person with that little shallow ulceration that we were describing, like a little scrape or a little gouged out area. And then over the course of several more days, those form a little maroon or brownish red crust or dry scab on the surface of the, of the ulceration, and then they will kind of heal by themselves. And that whole thing might take about seven to 10 days. Um, the problem with herpes is that they also tend to reoccur, Adam, as you know, so that um, a person will get an outbreak perhaps once on the outer part of the lip, which people commonly call a cold sore, 
it may go away and then come back again in the exact same place on the lip um, whenever the person gets stressed or gets intense sunlight exposure like going on vacation or if they get bumped in that area playing sports or if they just have close intense pressing on that area like deep deep kissing or deep French kissing in that area, for example. A question that I've been asked is what happens between those periods when that cold sore may be present and when it's not present? Can patients or people in general spread the herpes virus without actually having one of these sores present? Yes, unfortunately, the answer is that it is possible. Now, the risk of spreading the herpes virus to another person, like a, a partner, a sexual partner, or a loved one, the risk is highest when the ulceration or little blister is actually present there. Well, it actually starts with that tingling sensation and the little blister and then the ulceration. When that is present, that's by far the most common time when that virus is present and can be transmitted. Um, so people should be especially careful not to have close intimate contact with a partner when they have any of those symptoms. However, the virus can be present in a, in a minority of cases, a smaller number of cases, um, and can even be transmitted when a person has no symptoms. And that makes it very hard for people to know what to do when they're with a partner and the partner has a history of having had herpes. It's difficult. If the partner, or anyone for that matter, has the concern that they've been exposed to the herpes virus, whether there's evidence for that physically or not. What are the tests available for herpes? The best test available for herpes, Adam, is actually a direct culture of an ulceration or a lesion or a blister that a person has. Um, in, in that case, the doctor or nurse practitioner or physician associate will take a little cotton swab and simply rub that area and then put it into a little tube of fluid and send it to the lab and that's the most reliable way of knowing whether herpes is present and also whether it is type 1 or type 2 herpes. We can talk for a minute about what the difference is between those two or why that matters. Um, but a culture is the most reliable way. Can you speak for a moment to the blood test that's now available for herpes? There is a blood test available, but it is not nearly as reliable a test as the culture I just described. So the blood test tests for antibodies to the herpes virus, which means all it can tell us is that a person has at some time in their lifetime been exposed to the herpes virus. It doesn't necessarily tell you whether you have an active case right now or whether you are likely to transmit it to a partner. So it leaves people sometimes with a lot more questions than they had before they had the blood test. You talked a moment ago about herpes type 1, herpes type 2. Does the blood test give you any sense for which type of uh, or which strain a person may have been exposed to? Yes, the blood test can help us understand if a person has long-term antibodies against herpes type 1 or type 2. The blood test, there is another related blood test um, called an IgM blood test that can tell us whether the person may currently have had an active case of herpes or has recently been exposed to the herpes virus, recently meaning perhaps six months or nine months. It's a little harder to know. But that second uh, blood test actually does not distinguish type 1 from type 2. So again, they're imperfect tests, and they sometimes raise more questions or concerns. Now let me say, Adam, that if we were to do testing on the majority of 
adult persons in North America between ages 15 and 45, we would find that perhaps 80 or even 90% of all adults have antibodies to herpes type 1. That's how common it is. Almost everybody, by the time they get to be an average adult, has actually been exposed to this herpes virus. It doesn't mean that all these people are actually carrying the virus actively and, and shedding it and giving it to partners. It just means that they've been exposed to it. So we consider that to actually not be a medically significant test if it shows herpes type 1 long-term antibodies. Herpes type 2 may be present in about 20% of sexually active or physically intimate adults. Um, and so that one is a little bit more important or telling. And if a person has antibodies to herpes type 2, we usually counsel that person that he or she may have an active ongoing infection even if they don't have any obvious symptoms and that it's important for them to talk about that with their partners and potentially to take steps to try and reduce the risk of spreading it from one partner to another. Well, that's an excellent segue, Jim, uh, into available therapies and treatments for herpes. Can you talk for a moment about those? Yes. Um, let me mention first, Adam, that in terms of prevention, um, it's good to know a person's partner or partners, have an open, honest relationship, talk about what um, health conditions a person might have had and whether a person gets regular doctor visits and STD screening. That's just a really good thing to have as an open, honest part of a good, healthy, adult, mature relationship. Um, and people sometimes can at least take steps to prevent intimate contact when one of the partners is known to have an actual outbreak of herpes. The good news is that there is also a medication available. There are several medications, actually, but one I'm thinking of is called acyclovir. It is not expensive, which is really good news. It's also very safe and easily tolerated medicine. It's taken as a pill, and it can be very effective at suppressing the herpes virus, either type 1 or type 2, so that a person can take it both to help when he or she has an outbreak of herpes virus on their mouth or their genital area or anal area, but it can also actually even be, uh, be taken at a lower dose um, over a prolonged period of time, even for several months or more, to help prevent a recurrence of the asymptomatic virus as well. So that's good news. How effective has that been in preventing transmission to partners? Or is it helpful if partners take it? That's another question that I'm often asked. Well, that's a good question. And I have to say that I don't know of any evidence that uh, offering the anti-herpes medication such as acyclovir to a partner um, is necessarily indicated or proven by scientific studies. So I have not necessarily recommended that myself. I usually recommend it for the person who's either known to have a history of actual herpes illness or has had antibodies found on uh, blood testing. Um, the medication is, I think, very, very effective at transmitting herpes, but it is not 100% effective. Uh, almost nothing in medicine is 100%, as you know, Adam. I understand. But this medication is actually, I think, very effective. Um, it certainly has saved many relationships where there was a concern about herpes transmission. Terrific. Well, again, thank you for providing an excellent overview on a complicated topic. Hopefully our listeners have gotten some good information today. My pleasure. I'm always glad to help if I can.
This has been a Yale University HealthCast, sponsored by Yale Health and the Office of Public Affairs. For more information on this and other health topics, visit our website, yalehealth.yale.edu.